Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health as a company does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show. Jacko, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast. So glad you could join me today, man. Yeah, man. I'm happy to... Well, I'd be happier to be where where you are, like in England right now. It's it's fairly wet and it's raining, but uh, happy to be here virtually. But ideally, it'd be nice to actually be out on the other side of the pond. Yeah, indeed, man. I went out on a run this morning, and it's like 55 degrees, which for me, like running temp wise, like I love when it's in like the like mid 50s, low 60s. That's like perfect yeah. temperature for me. And you know, I'm in the south and the you know southern east part of the United States in South Carolina, and you know the summer was just brutal here in the 90s. And so today was like a huge reprieve. I was like, oh man, 55 degrees. Yeah, putting on the running yeah. shoes. I was planning on doing it anyway. I was like, I'm I'm headed out there. Uh, so yeah, man, it's it's pretty nice over here, which. You know, I feel like you said it was, you know, raining and cold, you know, where you are in the UK. I feel like that's what everybody tells me it always is in the UK. Is that is that true? It's just uh, it's, always rainy and cold? No, it's, no, it's not. We've had, um, it's weird. The summer seems to come early now, but uh, I've got to, I sort of, um, I can't complain too much. I, I did a marathon for the first time ever on Saturday. Oh, look at you, man. Nice. It was like 14 degrees. Uh, it was in the on the on the coast, uh, like an off road trail on the coast yeah. um, in Suffolk, and it was um, the weather. I remember we were we were running along, chatting to some guys, we were like sort of like twenty k in or something like that, and I was like, you know, like looking out over the sea, and the sun was like coming through the clouds, like it was quite overcast, but it was like, right. guys, like it could have been pissing it down. Like we are so lucky, and it's <laughs> no, and indeed. it's not too hot at all. It was like it was like. It was just nice. So, um, yeah, no, we have our, we have our days every now and again. In the yeah. Now I hear you, man, dude, a marathon. Congrats. Like what got you to that level of masochism where you're like, you know uh, what? I'm going to put myself through this grueling thing. It was, it's interesting. I've, um, had a few days to reflect on it. Um, I've been writing a blog <laughs> a bit about it and, and, um, it probably, it probably helps tell a bit of a story about me in a way in that I yeah, dude, take it. Yeah. Sort of, um, Played sports like as a kid, everything rugby, football. You don't really have rugby too much in the in America, but just think like Not American football, but yeah. but no no pads and helmets and that type of stuff. Just but, way um, more hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know whether that's I don't know whether that's true. Just way more sort of like just weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, we um, played ton of sport, tennis and stuff as well, and then um, uh, sort of relatively early, and I guess it happens in in America probably even more uh, more sort of severe in that you get sort of uh into like a path and so mine was mine was rugby um i'd have probably preferred to have played football you get paid a lot more to play football in the uk but i wasn't wasn't good enough but um (laughs) uh, i I was all right at rugby and and signed like a professional contract my first one at like 18 years old and then um i retired at 31 through uh through a head injury i had a seizure on the field in a oh man uh 
bleed on the brain and like a, a, a bad sort of time. And, and that actually led me into some of the breathing stuff. But right. just when I was, when I was younger, I almost, uh, the idea of doing a marathon, like I love running and that type of stuff and cross country at school. And the idea of a marathon, I think that I sort of I think I just like, it was almost like an assumption of like, that's something that's, that's on the bucket list of almost like that's, that's something everyone's got to have a cracker at some point in your life type of thing. And right. uh, my excuse of never having done one, even though I wanted to, as a bit of a, just a test, almost like, can you just endure that? Like how, how bad is it or what's it like? Um, yeah. my excuse was always, well, we weren't allowed to do other stuff that would you know, that wouldn't help my rugby training because sure. it's, you know, it's just too, too far, too long, too much endurance. And, um, anyway, uh, I, re I retired from rugby in 2013 from this head injury and it, it, it took me a year to be able to run without getting head in, without getting some of my head injury, brain injury symptoms, like headaches and yeah. nausea and yeah. those types of things. But, um, I ran, I managed to run, run a year later without, uh, without getting some headaches. I did, a um, I did my first 10 K in 2015. Mm-hmm. But for, that brought all my symptoms back for a few days. So I just like I just pushed it far too much. Um, but I, I got to the I got to the point last Christmas when it was a bit of a weird conversation because it was just really with me in my head where I had this realization like you know you, you know you have said you always wanted to do a marathon and your excuse was you couldn't because you were playing rugby. It was like eight years since you retired. Like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? So I literally went on the internet. Um, I didn't want to do a road one because I don't like, I like being in nature. Sure. Uh, yeah. Concrete on the knees and all that sort of stuff. So I was like, found a, a coastal off road, um, jobby. And I was like, that's me. Sign and the, the beauty of the internet, you could just do impulse, stupid things. And it was like, right. signed, up, signed up for a marathon. I love uh, it, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, so, the thing about it is, too, and, like, for for me, like, I've always kind of had it a little bit in my head that, like, if I just kind of, like, impulsively sign up for something, like, it, it was, like, initially, like, I'm super pumped about it, but also, too, like, it can scare me a little bit because I'm yeah. like, oh, well, I've got to put in the time and the effort to kind of bust my chops yeah. in order to train for it because I don't want to go out there and it be a, just an absolute train wreck or I can't finish or whatever yeah. it may be, and I've done that in the past for, you know, many different types of events, but, nah, dude, kudos to you for, for finishing did you did you hit kind of your time that you wanted to get i probably should have um done a little bit more investigation into it so it turns yeah. out that a marathon is 26.2 miles right right like, that's right that's yep. that's a standard thing well this marathon was 27 miles and i was like well that's, <laughs> that's a bit a, that's an interesting marathon like, yeah. just throw your little curveball so, there i was like ow um and then where it is in suffolk like in your head when you think of this area of england like on the east of England, it's like there are no hills. It's flat. Yeah, yeah. There was like three, 300 meters of elevation. And I was like, ah, it's not quite as flat as I thought. So, um, <laughs> and my training, um, having that as a thing to work towards, but it was definitely like um, the amount of training I did. And me and my wife do a lot of like, was running together. She did the half marathon. Um, and yeah, you, you know, you've got that thing knocking on the door. It's like, and when it's a long way away, it's like, you know, nine months away or something. When right. I first signed up, it's like, there's a marathon, but I'm far away, so I'm just going to stay here in the background and maybe go out for a little run. Like, yeah, I'd I think that's all of us, man. Like, I'd got all, I'd, you know, I was steady at a 5K. Um, and to put sort of context to it, I could, my 5K time was sort of like, my PB was like 19 minutes something, and mm -hmm. 10K was like 43. So if people do running, they'll know whether that, that'll be either, yeah. they'll think that's good or they'll think that's crap. It's all relative, right? But um, I would be the guy that would like, 
I'd go over the finish line and I'd be throwing up. Like I would just kill myself. And right, I right. was not efficient with my breathing or mm, anything at all. And mm-hmm. this is where like the option advantage has been like on two elements for me, like life changing in um, rehabilitation fully of my brain through restoring blood supply and oxygen flow to the brain by yeah. actually restoring those dysfunctional breathing patterns that had happened from the brain injury but for years i didn't even know that was a thing i didn't know that i needed i didn't know my breath like for three years after my head injury i didn't even know that my breathing had, had, had changed or right. to be honest i couldn't i don't even i have no markers pre-head injury other than i was very very fit at rugby to know whether my how dysfunctional my breathing was pre-head injury or if it was all just because of it but we know when people have concussions the respiratory center of the brain gets affected blood supply and oxygen supply does get affected so i didn't know this at the time i stumbled across the oxygen advantage through just a bit of a i don't know i think almost like my intuition started to go like once you ask yourself the question like are you breathing right Mm. and you're like I don't know. So I'm like a, a strength and conditioning coach as well. So work with, been working with a lot of athletes for a little while and um, know the body sort of reasonably well from a training perspective to know, to just go, well, I don't know, but you know, like if I say, you you know, we can breathe 20, 25,000 or whatever the, you know, times per day. And if we think of that being a movement pattern, well, just like a squat is a movement pattern. If I did 20,000 bad squats a day, I know my hips and my knees and things would be in pieces. Yeah. So the idea of doing something really badly, as small as breathing might be, just because the sheer volume of work that you do, I was like, yeah, if I'm not doing it right, then that would be a problem. And that is, right. and then it starts exploring that like rabbit hole, and then yeah. like, but so that's so interesting that you kind of intuitively came across that because I, I feel like not many people would. So you know, I, I just worked... felt something wasn't quite right. I never, I, I didn't get back to my like full sort of. There was, I always felt like it felt, this is the way to phrase it. It felt like you ever pull off in your car and you've slightly got the handbrake on and you've like, you just don't realize mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah. It, it felt like that. It's like I'm going, Drag. And I'm doing all right. And everyone would look at me and go, no, oh, you've made a full recovery, Jackie. You look great. And it's like, it just felt like the handbrake was, um, was slightly on. Um, and yeah, the, I just started to explore a few things. It, breathing ticked that box of like, it's going on in the background. It happens sort of automatically, but I could do something about this. The, the difficulty I stumbled across and why I was so glad I sort of found the oxygen advantage was that to answer that question, am I breathing right? Not even like, how do I do it? Mm-hmm. It was, I, did, I wasn't really getting many answers. Because some of you go, you need to breathe with your diaphragm. Your diaphragm is your number one breathing muscle. Like, okay, great. How, how do I do that? And then after yeah. that, I write, try it. So, so you watch a YouTube video or whatever and you're like, okay. And I'll be like, how do I know if I'm doing it right? Like, I've, and, and right. these types of things just led me further and further to keep sort of digging into it. And it's one of those things of being, you know, like, or, or it's almost like before you're like blissfully unaware. Yeah. Um, is some, it, it's not a good place to be, but it's sort of sometimes it's like, it is, it's okay. Or you're almost like, ah, oh. like now I'm like, oh, crikey, like you, <laughs> you. But you know that if you're not getting your breathing right, it has the potential to affect flipping everything. Right. You know, it's so interesting because I feel like so many people who are in this space of breath work kind of came upon it in just such new and unique ways. Like I think about James Nestor and how, you know, for him as an investigative journalist, he came across it, you know, first with free diving. And so he was kind of exploring. He's like, man, what? how in the world are these free divers like holding their breath and like such substantial times taking themselves down 
down to crazy depths. Like it's insane. And he's yeah. like, and then afterwards, you know, they'll just drink and smoke and like they're kind of just living like this, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's a good question. And then you know that that his his book Deep kind of led him to you know the bur- the book Breath which is just so intriguing to me. And so I think it's kind of the same way for you, right? Is a personal kind of uh, yeah. uh, almost like investigative journalist hat that you had to put on because you're like, you know, I've got this major problem that has kind of come from concussion. And now for me, I really need to figure out like, what's the missing piece here? And I find that so many people that I've worked with in the past, because, you know, I used to work as a, you know, as a psychologist for the Department of Veteran Affairs. And I did some rotations in like rehab clinics for veterans with TBI. It's just a huge right. problem, yeah, concussions okay, and TBI yeah, sure. amongst the veteran military population and like you know they'll they'll assess things kind of like their overall you know mood and well-being which is good they'll, they'll assess things like nutrition um kind of activity level but breathing was not really one that we right. saw addressed yeah and it's it's insane i got told to i got told yeah you're, you're you're from looking at your brain scan you should make a full recovery yeah and how long and, and my question is obviously like well how long is that gonna take yeah and the answer was like um well, we don't know. Just uh, it was effectively like, just wait. Just don't try and do anything. Like yeah. you'd read a book and it would hurt you, or you look at the TV and yeah. it hurts your eyes. And so it was like, I oh, want well, just do nothing. And it's it's hard like to do nothing, and it's depressing to do nothing. And sure. um, yeah, like there's there is stuff that we can do, and in terms of our breathing, that I don't know if you come Dr. Cobb at Z Health Performance. He's done some some mm-hmm. great work yep. in that area. Like and i think that for people like when you feel like you're doing something it 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 mentally it massively helps and the other thing is one of the worst i think injuries or issues or times in our lives that i've certainly experienced and and i have this conversation with other people as well you know it doesn't have to be with to do with concussions or whatever but it's the it's when there's like it's the unknown element so for Mm, me it was like yeah i don't know if i'm going to make a full recovery or how long and just the unknownness of that whereas when I broke my arm or my shoulder or my foot, like Doc was like, right, you do this, do yeah. 12 weeks, do that many weeks, and then you got a plan. Whereas when you've got no plan for something, it's like, it's just mentally brutal for us. And when you don't, of course. when you haven't got anything to do, I think that that's, that's massively challenging. So I encourage yeah. people if they have come across any you know, experience with it, that, that there is things we don't just have to just sit and wait. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, we can find ourselves feeling so helpless and hopeless in those situations, right? Because, you know, if we have an acute injury, like you mentioned, like we break our arm, we know that for the most part, as long as it's set correctly and, yeah. uh, you know, it heals as it should, like we're going to make a full recovery. But when it comes to things like TBI or concussion, when it comes to things like, um, you know, I think like people who have been you know, exposed to kind of like uh, toxins, heavy metal toxins yeah. or mold or lime disease like there's always this kind of question of like what if like what if i never kind of get back to myself that's a very stressful anxiety provoking depressing place to be and i could only imagine kind of for you in that situation that you would go there because physiologically we know that people with tbi and concussion or have a much higher propensity to depression physiologically but then also psychologically if you're trying to battle with this like is my body and mind ever going to go back to normal or is like is this my new normal and if this is my new normal like can i live with this and i mean that can drive someone absolutely bonkers maybe into even to the point of them thinking i don't know if i want to live like this i mean it's reasonable to understand why someone would take themselves to that place so how did you how did you get through it was it kind of the breathwork experience and that kind of journey or was there something kind of Uh, spiritual for you what was it for you um i guess like yeah uh God was definitely in it for me in terms yeah. of like it, it, it. One of the one of the weird things was like I was, 
the uh, sort of the, the the specialist, the neurologist, or the neurosurgeon, whatever that I I saw in the end um, that had all my MRI results and that sort of stuff. And this was about three months after the actual injury had, had happened. And initially, I was trying to get back to playing rugby. It was right. Like sure. I was in a bad place. <laughs> um, and yeah, the 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 weird thing was I was I was actually uh, mentally not strong enough to put my hand up and go like, guys, I'm not right. Like. Yeah. I'm retiring. I'm giving up. Like I know. Whereas, um, yeah, it, I've never seen. I like quitting at something. I'd always previously seen as like quitting is a bad thing. And generally, like giving sure. up and quitting on things is generally sort of bad. But there are there's a time and a place for it to be the best decision. And unfortunately, yeah. I wasn't mentally uh, strong enough at that point in my life to make that right decision. But I was lucky that the you know, the, the results were the, so basically I'm like praying yeah. that she's going to like say, you can't do this no more. And she says right. to me, she's really worried that like, she's like, I'm really, really sorry. Like, you know, you can't play like your sport anymore. Like it's just too dangerous. Like, you know, the, yeah. it, it sounded sort of like dramatic in like the newspapers <laughs> when they had the, you know, the, the, it was true that like you, you know, you, if you got another bad one, you could die. Like that would be the worst case scenario, but you know, the same as, you know, if anyone gets a, you know, the first, your first head injury could kill you if it was really bad if you was in a Sure, practice. yeah, of course. Anyway, but yeah, it's, uh, that was the sort of um, a state of play. And so she was like really sort of uh, almost like you could tell she was a bit worried about giving this kiss. Uh-huh. And I'm like, sort of, thanks, like the relief of like, right. okay, I wanted you to make that decision for me, not Indeed, me. But, yeah. Um, because for yeah. you, if you had to be the one to say like, you know, I'm going to make that decision, then it's almost like, well, am I taking away my own identity? Am I kind of digging my own yeah. grave? And that's a tough place to be. You know, I work with a lot of professional and elite athletes and the uh, the hardest thing for them is kind of like when to say like, I'm done. Um, because yeah. for them, yeah. especially if they've lived a life where they've only been involved in that sport ever since they were little kids and now they're yeah. in, you know, they're early mid 30s whatever it may be and they're like okay now i'm about to take away like a piece of me that you know i identify as a piece of me that pretty much everybody sees me as as you know this high performing athlete like what am i after that like what's there left for me and so it's kind of good too sometimes like obviously we don't want anybody to have concussions or tbis or anything kind of of that nature that type of injury but it is helpful sometimes for you know a physician or somebody to step in and be like listen like for the sake of your health and well-being if you want to continue yeah. going on like and and repair yourself like you got to stop this because if you yeah. don't like there can be serious ramifications and we've seen that you know in American football with you know a lot yeah. of players who we knew had you know TBI we knew they had concussions multiple concussions they kept on playing and then they died really young because of the yeah. significant impact on the brain and on the skull so yeah it's it's one of those things that yeah I hate it for you that you had to you know basically give up you know your sport but it was good that you did have somebody who kind of like you listened to you trusted who said the time is now like and if the time yeah, isn't now well, it, was, could be- it was black <laughs> it was black and white from yeah, there yeah um they've got some like um in in rugby there was no like laws or rules to like govern whether i i could have still ignored them and right. done what i wanted but in boxing if a professional boxer can't take a standing 10 count they have to have a um, an mri apparently and if anything mm. comes up in their mri like i'd had then they they take their license away from them so she yeah. was like you know that's what it would be that if you were a boxer that's what the situation would be we took away from you anyway like i and basically like yeah i'm making this decision for you which yes i mean that was yeah that was i it's been very 
the the whole identity thing is it, that you picked up on is like really important. That was something I was battled with for a long time, yeah. and uh, was aware of it whilst I was playing, um, but sort of like difficult to grapple with. Of trying to go like, um, you know, when you meet people for the first time, you always ask you, you know, the first question after like, what's your name? Is tends to be like, what do you do as a job? And like, right. I almost used to feel embarrassed by saying, "Oh, I just didn't want." Uh, I didn't want to have that conversation of like the rugby player. It's like let's just talk about life, like rather than going down. Sure. That's just one part, you know. Like it's just one part of what someone does. But yeah, sure. we, we often get we often get wrapped up in that. And the challenge that I always found was that if my identity was in me being the rugby player, when I played well at the weekend, great. <laughs> But when I played badly at the weekend, it was like bad. And so my life yeah. at times was this roller coaster of week to week. And my wife had to deal with like happy Jacko when we won or yeah. played well. And then like miserable me when, and it was, it's just not like a, that's not what life's about. Sure. Me, but that's, that's where, that was a learning, learning process. And, and through this, I've also, you know, I look at quitting failure and giving up in a, in a different light now of like yeah. just putting it on the table. Like it used to never be on the table. Whereas now if I'm in a situation, you go like, Okay, um, there's carry on and, and grit your teeth and there's, and there's give up. Um, right. Like the marathon, for example, I, I didn't give up. But if I got to the point where there was a significant reason of like, I don't know, say I like twisted my ankle halfway around and I'm like hobbling around and then there comes a point where you go, right, the best decision now might be to give up rather than just like completely, like you've already wrecked your ankle yeah, rather than completely indeed. destroying it. Or, you know, there's, there's times and a place for it. And I've, that's something that I've, I've, there's been a good learning point um for me in terms of like the breathwork side of it there there, there was no i said there was no advice given to me like around mm. or or understanding from the the people that i was working with that okay we actually need to look at um look at your breathing and we need to look at your co2 tolerance we need to look at like how your um how this how this injury has affected your breathing and, and yeah. can we do some work to try and restore that that that, that only came so it was, a, it was a few. It was a few years later. Um, yeah, indeed. So, so when you yeah. did, when you did come across it a few years later, so you know you you had the sustained injury, um, plenty of symptoms that you've mentioned, kind of that corresponded with the injury. You came across, you know, breath work, oxygen advantage. Like, w what was it that you started practicing, and then what was it that you started noticing? And was were these results immediate <laughs> for you, or were they kind of like sustained yeah. or compounding across time? Tell me a little bit of that story. It, it, interesting like it's still um sustained and learning and and, and carrying on literally week by week yeah, or month by month yeah. i feel like there's always something to um like the skill of breathing to think of it as like a skill and a uh, like nesta calls it like the lost art it's indeed it's not something that you uh well my current thoughts on it are that like it's it's not something that you complete it's not like a computer game where you get to the end and you completed it i'm not going to think about that again mm -hmm. <laughs> like i don't need to do anything like yeah we want to try to create some like habits and some tones so like your automatic state is better but there's always there's always a time and place to to be able to like like hone and practice a skill and one and a th thinking of it as a as a skill or just this this thing for the body um it it's so important but the challenge it's like the double-edged sword of it is 
it can happen automatically so you can just leave it alone and you won't die whereas if i don't eat some food like at some point i'm gonna die like i've got to (laughs) i've got to put it in my mouth i don't automatically eat like i might get hungry automatically i don't automatically eat um and so it has this like this double-edged sword to it which i think is 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 interesting and is for some people a bit of can be a bit of a barrier to actually like getting involved in it like i had a client um, i worked with a a private gp here who um Mm. If she gets some clients that she works quite holistically, like a sort of um, lifestyle medicine, functional medicine type of, uh, of style of, of approach with it, looking at like the whole sort of holistic thing and, and trying to find some like root causes. And if she notices somebody's got, um, she notices their breathing's a bit dysfunctional, she'll refer them on to me. And it might be that sure. they're, they're struggling with like the stress, anxiety or digestion stuff. Mm-hmm. And she thinks improving their breathing is going to help. And I had one guy that was like, after his first session, he was like, this has been life changing. He was like, this is incredible. <laughs> And I was like, okay, steady on. Like it was only, you know, we're only done one session. Don't worry. It's, <laughs> right. it's going to get better. But, um, but he was like, but, and he was like, don't take this the wrong way, Jacko. But when the dark light referred me on to do something about breathing, he was like, what's breathing going to do for me? Like I do yeah. that automatically. Like he was, he, he was open-minded enough to, to actually give it a go. Yeah. He was like, I was properly shut off from it. Right. Which is incredible because some don't, I mean, some, they hear this idea of like breathing as being, you know, kind of a helpful cause agent to mental and physical health. And they just write it off. You know, I think the greatest thing that we have is we have people like you, Jacko. We have people like, you know, Patrick McCune. We have people like James Nestor. We have a lot of these, uh, you know, prominent individuals who are really placing breath work at kind of like the spotlight right now and saying like, it's, this not something that's just kind of like this, you know, woo woo science, like just thing that we're like, Oh, this is, a beautiful thing that yogis do like no this is the thing that everybody does and the problem though is that many of us are very dysfunctional when it comes to breathing and if we can if we continue that dysfunctional pattern of breathing then it's not going to help us out in all these other health areas and i love that again we're getting a little bit more spotlight around why breath work is so important but like that your story resonates with me i know you just started the story but your story resonates with me because i've had so many individuals who come to me and then when i tell them a little bit about what like heart rate variability training is or heart rate variability biofeedback is i'm like honestly like at the core of it this is breath work training we just use yeah. technology as an as an objective means to show you yeah. like what's yeah, being sure. changed so yeah it's it's incredible yeah yeah no definitely and and so you know for for some people if they don't have some sort of like markers or feedback or whatever it's 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 a tool to help us you know, like I was saying that, that question of like, am I doing it right? Like that mm-hmm. can, that can be some tools to show you, yeah, you know, you are doing it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and there, there are, um, there are simple things for people in terms of like, if you're trying to create more of a parasympathetic state and, and mm-hmm. calm this, this, your body down or calm the system down, noticing more saliva building up in the mouth is like, Oh yeah. And then like they, they, these little things of signs of like, okay, I'm doing what I'm doing. Like there are, um, there are those things available, available to us as tools to help us know we're doing something right and i think that for a lot of people like like this like this particular client going if we can do something that makes us feel a difference straight away then it gives us that um it gives us that like hook and that like okay this is a thing and you know that was for me with with the auction advantage how did it, it started with like um trying some trying some breath holds and being mm-hmm. like uh shocked <clears throat> At how bad I was. I Do you remember what your bolt score was? Oh, it was less than ten. 
Yeah, yeah. I yeah. couldn't do twenty, which isn't that 20. uncommon, but it would just yeah. scary. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, less than ten for people who don't know. They probably will listen. You know, Patrick and I talk about this plenty, but yeah. less than ten is not optimal by any means. <laughs> well, it was like the category I fell into when reading the book. It was like you know, you've got asthma, and right. I'm like, well, right. I, I have, and in my and I, I was like, I know I've been, I've had this injury, and da da da, but like I'm feeling quite good now, yeah. and like. I'm, 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 I was running five K's at this point. Like I was running a 20, I was running a 20 minute five K. My bolt score was 10, hmm. um, yeah, within six weeks. So you have a high level of will and motivation, but well, yeah, from so this I'm like, physiologically, yeah, eh, yeah. I'm yeah. like crossing the finish line and dying. And right. then like, um, <laughs> but that's all I, but that was like, that was what I knew. Like my mind, my mind, I wasn't the most skillful rugby player, mm-hmm. but like I, you wouldn't, you wouldn't beat me on like effort. And yeah. just like, try, I'll just outwork you type of thing. I love but, um, it. Yep. And I, yeah, I had that. And that mindset tends to get you in trouble sometimes, uh, depending on what the physical activity is that mm-hmm. you're doing. You mm-hmm. just won't give up. But um, the, uh, within six weeks, well, the first time I tried, so I'm like, tried to breath hold. Um, fault score is terrible. Um, walking steps, can carry steps. Before mm-hmm. I got to 20 steps, like I just panicked. I've never suffered with like yeah. panic attack or anything like that, but I felt like I was, I just felt like I was suffocating and I was mm-hmm. like, man, that's, and then looking and, and Patrick saying, well, it should be over 60. And if you're a professional athlete, it should be like 80 to a hundred. Right. And I'm thinking like, there is no way on this earth I'm ever going to get to a hundred. Like that yeah. is, how does someone even do that? Like I'm in my head, I'm like, you've got to be like a, a free diver or, you know, it, and you know, yeah. lo and behold, it, it took me a long time because I did a lot of stuff sure. wrong. And actually, mm-hmm. the reason why I did the training with Patrick was not because I wanted to start teaching it. I was, um, you know, quite happily enjoying him, the, the role I was doing as an S&C coach. I was, I was like, this is a thing. I can see it. Uh, when I do some of the exercises, I feel better, but I'm not making long-term progress. And there's some markers that I'm absolutely terrible at. Yeah. I need to understand. It's better just for myself. And that's all it was. What did you find uh, that you were doing wrong? What was kind of the, the thing that you were uh, able to put your finger uh, on? So <laughs> I was like, so initially it was, uh, and actually Patrick, uh, we had him on our podcast and, and, and you know, you know, like he's, he's like, he's like the best bloke. He's like the nicest bloke you've ever he met. Is so yeah, he's like, a great guy. Message him after like, uh, basically read the book and reach out to him on, on, on Instagram, whatever. And he's like, do you want to come on the podcast? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, <laughs> like I've just finished reading this book, and now I'm talking to the guy. But, I know um, it's amazing. And I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I message him after I've been trying to do stuff, and I'm like, I'm really struggling. Like, I'm like, think I'm dying at like 20 steps. So he's like, I, he, he gives me an half an hour Zoom call or whatever for free, just to like basically encourage me to one with the with the breath holds is like actually push through. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I was just like wimping out of it. Yeah. So. And um, he was like, get a pulse oximeter and uh, just see where, where, see where your blood oxygen is at. Because he was like, you, you'll think, and he was bang on. He was like, you, when you think you're dying and suffocating, your blood oxygen levels are like barely even dropped if you're at 20 steps. So right. I'm like doing the, so I get, you know, I get my pulse oximeter, I'm doing my breath hold and I, and I look down, I think I'm dying. My diaphragm is like just contracting. What are you at, like 95, 96? 97 <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> like, 
So right within normal range. <laughs> exactly. That was the tool, yeah. though, for me that actually like broke that mentally. So That's I knew the, I knew the the rationale and the science, and everyone sort of you, we explained that the um, carbon dioxide is the stimulus to breathe. That's what's being mm-hmm. monitored the brainstem, and you go, okay, I get that. Um, you go and do a breath hold, and you're that that just even though you know it, it like just goes out of the window, and it's like get me oxygen in, right. like. Indeed. And then you look at the, you look at the pulse symptoms to me, and that that broke that lie that my brain was telling myself. It's yeah. like, I oh, know you're fine. So I would actually just walk, I would say that out loud in my head, and that's why I now coach people now with breath holds. I'll, yeah. I'll say, I'll, it's fine, it's fine. Trust it, it's fine, it's fine. It's all <laughs> And actually, Patrick would say like, relax into the breath hold, yes. and I couldn't do that for probably about two years, yeah. or at least I couldn't relax into it because I would just tense against mm. it, and I'd hold tension high up. Yes. Um, and, lot of to do with um sort of the poor mechanics of of not not having that freedom in my rib cage right and holding tension uh higher up um and that like lack of movement from the those lower ribs mm-hmm. affecting how well i could actually get the diaphragm to function yeah. and you know, it's, there's been some there's been some really interesting research that I was looking at that looked at EMG or a, a ba- basically muscular activity for free divers when they're doing breath holds, and so they put um, you know uh, 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 these EEG electrodes like on the intercostal muscles of these yeah. free divers and then all around in different areas where you would expect them to tense up when they're doing these extremely long breath holds or they're doing like a C- CO2 table, and what they found is is that like it is very rare for these individuals until like the very end of their breath hold. Yeah. To like tense their muscles like whatsoever. They are so relaxed into the breath hold. It's just incredible where it's like, I know for me, I'm probably a little bit better at it than what I used to. But for me, it was like almost like after about 10 seconds of a breath hold, like uh, my body would just tense up. And then uh, I wasn't until I learned how to kind of like relax into the breath hold that I found out that, oh man, that amount of muscular tension was using so much oxygen, number (laughs) one. Yeah, it was a ton of oxygen use and energy use. And so I was like, I couldn't breath hold my breath nearly as long until I just finally relaxed into it, which is very much a psychological thing because, yeah. you know, when we hold our breath, um, our instinct is that like, are we holding our breath because we're dying? Like, are we underneath water right now? And so the, the natural inclination is that the body wants to say, okay, well, that means it must mean that we need to fight to get out of it. And so what do we do? We tense yeah. ourselves up, but until we, you know, regulate that and train that like our breath hold time's not going to get much better yeah, just yeah. because for us, we can develop a little bit of CO2 tolerance, even though we're tensing up, but not nearly yeah. as much when we learn to relax into it and we tell the brain we're not dying like i'm not gonna pass out here and then just like not breathe anymore and and just be you know non-existent so it's a really interesting practice hey jay here hate to interrupt this show but i have to tell you about our amazing sponsor for today's episode yeah it's hanu health that's h-a-n-u health my company and i've got good news and i've got bad news So the bad news is, is that I'm going to have to be quite cryptic for a while as to what we're building, but what I can say is that it is in the space of health technology, and it's going to be revolutionary. Just think about this show. You have myself, who is an expert in heart rate variability, and Patrick, who is an expert in breathwork, and he is one of our primary advisors. Hmm... 
And what's the good news? Well, even though you have no idea about what the company is offering as a product, we are offering an exclusive VIP waiting list so that you can be the first to know about it. Not only will you reserve your spot in line, you will also gain access to our informative newsletter. We will update you on where we are as a company and provide special incentives and promotions. All you need to do is go to hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. That is hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. I promise you will not want to miss out on what is to come. We are building the biohacker's dream, but it will be useful for every human being on this planet. I'm, I'm not even speaking in hyperbole. I'm serious. Every human could benefit from what we are making. So again, head on over to hanuhealth.com slash waitlist to get your spot now. And I will just, you know, leave you with bated breath. I think it might be even helpful too, uh, just for listeners who aren't aware of like why you would even breath hold in the first place and why would you walk in breath hold? Would you mind sharing a little bit about how you've used that, kind of why you use it, and then also too, why you you know share that with clientele? Yeah. Um, so like we mentioned about that that CO2 tolerance um, or the CO2, carbon dioxide being the stimulus to be. So carbon do- every cell in our body needs oxygen and produces carbon dioxide and um that carbon dioxide has to one it does have to leave the body but two it plays some vital roles within the body in terms of helping with circulation helping with um, oxygen being released from red from red blood cells into the tissues themselves so um, it's also one of the the main things that the respiratory center and the brainstem is monitoring to tell us when to take our next breath that 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 desire that stimulus to breathe and so when we breathe poorly when we breathe dysfunctionally um, one of the one of the things of that is like more mouth breathing and, and faster breathing rates, mm-hmm. and that gets rid of too much carbon dioxide. And so when we become too sensitive to carbon dioxide because we're just getting used to getting rid of it all the time, anytime um, we hold the breath or anytime we try and slow our breathing down, we get these impulses to breathe. And you know when it gets really bad, like our impulse to breathe in might have started or be kicking in before we've even finished our exhale. So if we then can't exhale well. That's going to affect like your diaphragm, your rib movement, like the mechanics mm-hmm. and the biochemistry like linking together a lot of the time for people at that at that point. So practicing exposing the body to higher levels of carbon dioxide to reset these like, these chemoreceptors, basically reset the sensitivity of of the uh, of the respiratory center, the brain stem, so that you can tolerate high levels of carbon dioxide, which helps with our oxygen efficiency and delivery to the tissues, but equally helps us slow our breathing rates down, will then therefore help us be calmer, it will help things like your heart rate variability. Indeed. Um, but your exercise efficiency, you know, that was a huge thing for me in, in the marathon, which we can t- touch on um, uh, uh, later as well. So practicing holding the breath, getting used to, like you said, the mental side of it is probably first where we actually make the biggest improvement. So sure. I can yep. take someone, you know, they might be like me and they were like 20 or 30 steps the first time they do it. And we do 50 minutes of practice on it, even virtually via Zoom. I'm yep. just talking to them in their, in their, in their bedroom or whatever. Um, and it's like, they're now up to 45 steps. And we haven't like, what well, I've, I can't have changed their sensitivity to calm dioxide in that time. But what we've done right. is we've learned what those feelings are we've processed that in our mind and like okay mentally we're able to like push through this thing and like you said then when you get better at doing that then you're actually exposing ourselves to those high levels and we start to uh, we start to see those improvements we get yeah. the, the the drop in oxygen um 
one of the, like Patrick talks about it and uh, or classifies it as like out like simulating altitude training. That mm-hmm. when we have this like low oxygen and high CO two effect, it's 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 similar to being and the training effects people get from altitude. So from a from a sports performance side of things as well, we get some nice um, improvements in sort of red blood cell production from the the lower uh, uh, oxygen mm-hmm. um, that happens from from the breath holds and so. If people are looking into that, you know that's that's probably like a whole other sort of like avenue of it. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah that's uh, that's some that's some stuff that we do, and it's interesting to see like how quickly, when you're being coached through it, where you can go from your twenty, thirty steps feeling like you're suffocating, within three or four weeks to be up to a hundred. Like yeah. it's mad the progress we we can actually make, and so, and you'll you'll notice real changeable. Um, adaptations in how you feel yes how how you sleep because you're and you'll be able to you could take some marks of like your bolt score or mm-hmm. t- measuring your breath per minute your breathing rate will like start to automatically slow down because you're just reducing this desire um to breathe and so whether you're breathing fast because you're um you, you want to work on your fitness or whether you're breathing faster because you're stressed or there's other things going on like that is going to affect your carbon dioxide tolerance and one way to help improve that is the is the practicing of breath holds. Uh, yeah. The other side of it is practicing slowing down our breathing, mm-hmm. like the, the whole sort of breathing lighter, breathing less, mm-hmm. breathing silent, mm-hmm. breathing quieter. Yes. That was what I was worst at. I yeah. I could not. I ended up doing getting. I got on with breath holds because it was like right, okay, so I get it now. It's a challenge, and I'm like challenges. I can take on challenges. Like mentally, I'm good at that. Like let's go. Um, I'll just try harder. If like basically yeah. with the breath on, it was like try harder, you'll get some success. Right. With um, with trying to slow down and quieten your breathing and just get used to like a little bit of like slight bit of air hunger just going on in the background, you you can't just try harder at that, Jacko. Yeah. But that's that was like my only tactic, and so it took me sure. such a long time. Yeah. And I've had, I guess, probably more profound benefits from actually getting better at that. Yeah. Um. And even if I stop doing some breath holds for a bit and then really focus, like, so before my marathon, I was, um, I was working on like this, like my, my aerobic efficiency and my breathing efficiency. And I was like, I'm going to run for like, (laughs) I looked at the, the winning time for this marathon was, um, like over three hours. So I was like, like the best dude that's ever done this, that's slow, like for like a top end marathon runner, if you know what I mean? So I'm like going... Right, this is going to be brutal for me. Like, I'm not gonna. I'm not thinking about like trying to be like sub four hours. I'm just like trying to get to the end. So I'm right. like, I'm going to run for a very long time on this day. <laughs> the more efficient I can be with my breathing, like, the better. Yeah. Um, and so like my all my practice was around was around that. And so I was like, whether I was actually out running, trying to breathe quietly and slowly, and letting my nose dictate the pace rather mm-hmm. than trying to hit a pace because. When you work from a time, so like, I want to do this time, you then work out I need to do this pace, and then you're going to train like this. And then if that makes, that might make your breathing and the experience of running feel horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I worked backwards the other way. It was like um, heart rate stay 180 minus age. Mm-hmm. And that for me was like 140, or even literally at the start, even like lowered, like just trying to stay at like 130. You're breathing at 130 nasally, in and out is like super nice and super slow. Mm-hmm. And it feels nice and it feels good running. You finish and you're like there's it's almost like there's no oxygen debt at the end. Like you, yeah. you finish and you're not out of breath, you're just like, Okay, cool. Um and right. and what happened over time, 
as we start to get better at that, I'd be sort of like, anytime I was tweaking above that like 180 uh, minus age heart rate, I'd notice my nasal breathing was starting to get a bit mm-hmm. like more sucking yep. in. It's like, here's mm-hmm. this challenge we've mm-hmm. But over, as the weeks went on, it was like, right, I can go for longer because I don't feel tired. Yeah. I'm literally not even going fast. And then looking at the pace I'm running, I'm going, hold on. I'm now running like, I don't know, six minute Ks rather than seven minute Ks. Mm-hmm. But my heart rate's still only 140. Yeah. My breathing's super easy. So it's like I'm yeah. running faster, but it's taking no more breathing. Um, and I think that was that was one of the things, that was one of the things I wanted to, uh, I wanted to take everything from the auction advances that I'd learned and go, you know, this research paper says this and did it and this is why we're going to do it like this. And okay, brilliant, like, love it, brilliant, let's go. And then it was like, right, I'm going to do that in the marathon. Mm-hmm. And let's let's see how it goes down, put the theory to the test. Um, and, you know, I in tra- training didn't go that well in the, um, I never ran more than a half marathon. And I, was, yeah. I remember telling some people, they were like, um, what, you've never ran further than a half? They were like, this is going to hurt like on the day I'm like, <laughs> right. people are just chatting as we go around. It's like, yeah, this is going to be interesting. Everyone's talking about, you're going to hit the wall at like 18 miles or 20 miles. Um, I mean, I didn't go very fast. <laughs> it took me, it took us, uh, it took me four hours, 53 minutes, but I never hit the wall. Yeah. Um, I remember turning to someone at 24 K. I said to this lady, we even got lost <laughs> and, and, and she managed to get back on track. <laughs> And I said to her, this is, I said to her, have you, have you done many marathons before? She's like, yeah, she's done a few. And she looks quite comfortable. And she was smiling. It's like, okay. And we're like 24K in. So I'm like, yeah, you're doing all right. And um, she goes, and what about you? And I was like, oh, this is my first one. And she's like, oh, okay, so how's, how's training? How did training go? I'm like, well, this is quite an exciting time for me because I've never ran this far. Like, we're at 24K. She was like, take it easy because we've got another 20K to go. And, right, um, right. But yeah, but. I just, I stuck to my guns and I just yeah. stayed at that pace. Interestingly. Did you nasal breathe the entire time or was it most yeah, of the time? Or? Yeah. hundred All the time. All the time. Of the time. That's awesome. People, like, so when I first tried to nasal run, I couldn't get to the end of my road, which is 50 meters. Mm. And it was just like snot pouring down the face. <laughs> yes. I, I remember that when I first started doing it, it was awful. I would have this, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, we try to keep this as PG as possible on Hanu <laughs> Health, but I was shooting snot rockets like out of my nose because I was like, I want to keep going. I keep nasal breathing, but I can't do it unless I clear. Yeah. And so like, it was so gross, but I was like, I, yeah. I got to stick to my guns. <laughs> and that's, and that's one of the challenges for people if they, um, if you can't leave your ego at the door when you go out for a run for the first time and you're going to nasal breathe, if you've been a mouth breather, your nose will be blocked. Yeah. Your nose yep. won't stay clear if you don't use it. But if you do use it, it'll stay clear. So I was one of those guys. And yeah, it's it's tougher. It's harder. And actually, for most people, it will just stop you like, I can't do this. And then yeah. you give up on it. Whereas yep. what we need to do is practice using your nose use the breath holes to clear it mm-hmm. slow down your pace to just a pace and if that has sure. to be walking for a first week or a very very slow jog for your first week like do that because what you're going to get is then the benefits of the nasal breathing afterwards and what, what are the we, benefits let's let's jump into that well, so what are the benefits from nasal breathing um for performance and then maybe in general as well just in, in case yeah. people aren't aware um so well one thing in terms of um mechanically helping us to we're more we're not that we necessarily 100% will, but we're more likely to breathe with the diaphragm when we're nasal mm-hmm. breathing. There's more of a connection with the diaphragm rather yeah. than that shallow upper chest breathing, which yep. is more related to that stressful state. So if I'm running during my marathon, it's it's fairly uh, stressful on the body because we're running for so long. Um, do I want my breathing to to like 
emphasize that stress state or can I get my breathing to be calmer and a bit more relaxed? So nasal breathing will help with that from the perspective of like what we're getting, getting the movement of the diaphragm and all the vagus nerve mm-hmm. um, stimulation we get from that. Um, but a lot of it in terms of from, from sport and exercise being that, that efficiency of oxygen delivery in terms of like the, the nose providing resistance to our breathing, which will help slow it down. And when we're able to slow down our breathing, this is where it's, it's one of those things at first. You try and slow down your breathing at first with nasal breathing, it feels horrendous. So not only is your nose blocked, you're like feeling like you're out of breath because, and what's that feeling of out of breath like? It, or what's it coming from? It's coming back to that CO2 tolerance. Those CO2 mm-hmm. levels rising, you can't, your body can't currently deal with it. But when mm-hmm. you get better at dealing with it, not only does oxygen get released from red blood cells more easily and efficiently, your... Um, you're, you're, you're getting, your body will be better at buffering all the, the H plus ions, lactic acid that's coming as a result of that CO2 production. And the whole system then starts to become, starts to become more efficient. Right. And when I, was, when I was really struggling during the, the marathon, like towards the end, I put into practice the idea of like larger breaths, but taking less of them per minute, mm-hmm. um, slowing the breathing rate down, but taking proportionally larger. So still getting the same volume of air in, but not losing as much air in dead space. Um, and I would go from like, I would do something like 10 of those in a row. People probably thought I was crazy. I'm like running up this hill. And some at this point, people are just walking up the hill. They just give up. And I'm, right, like, right. I'm like, I had two rules. One was um, don't walk. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the second one was enjoy it. That's, that's what I wanted Indeed. out of the marathon. There was no Love time. It. it was like, don't walk and enjoy it. So I didn't walk. And so I'm like jogging around. I'm like going. Even with my hands, I was doing this. Like yes. To try and help that move. Some Tai Chi oh. move. I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but how my legs then felt after doing like sort of like five, six or 10 breaths like that. Like I could, I could tangibly feel that like oxygen or feeling of, uh, of energy or whatever, like getting into, getting into, getting into my legs. And, um, it 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 100% works yeah. i did a little video as i was running along doing it like literally saying this going like this like this is what i'm doing this is how i feel like this like this stuff works and yeah. it's not just it's not just a research paper it's there um, it's there right. and it works but you've got to do the work to get the benefits indeed if you if you, you might already be a nasal breather just by just because you've got good habits and then you go out for and you're going to feel good and you'll be like yeah this is great yeah jacket woo yeah do the nasal breathing but if you're not a nasal breather when you're asleep or when you're just doing the dishes or when you're on your computer and you've got a a, a, a dysfunctional breathing but you're not aware of it you'll hear nasal breathe that's going to be better for you and like da, 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 all this stuff and then you go out and try it and it feels horrendous yeah indeed because you're just not adapted to it sure um, yeah Indeed. Yeah, so we just have to do a little bit of work to, but the the benefits are there for you, right. and the benefits if you use them in your exercise, <clears throat> um, it means that people that exercise, you can do it when you're exercising. Therefore, it's not an extra job for you to do during the day. Right. You know. Right. I think the first podcast you did with Patrick, um, he said something that that well, everything he says resonates with me. But he said <laughs> one resonates with me of that he was like, you asked him what does his, uh, what's his breathe, you know. He's like he's like the guy like what's so what's yeah, your breathing like daily routine you? yeah he's like well you know um, I'm a pretty busy guy like right, he's writing books for fun and da he's got this and he was like it for me it has to uh, has to just be part of my everyday living and everyday life and activities mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that is the that is the key when you give people more stuff to do what do clients say if they feel like they've got you've got to do 
half an hour of breathing here, then you've got to do it here, then you've got to do it here. They're like, I just can't fit it in. I've got too much stuff, other yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I'm passionate about and feel a, um, a bit of a mission of like, I want to try and make breath work normal. Like you were saying, like, it doesn't, you know, I'm down with like, let's put a bandana on and like play some, play a guitar and like go, Ooh, like, <laughs> right. I'm down with that. That's what we want to do. But that's, that's going to be a barrier it for is. a lot of people. It and is. actually, you said it right at the beginning. Breathing is for everyone. We're all doing it. Yeah. So you're going to get most benefit out of changing your breathing for 23 hours of the day rather than just one hour where you sit on your yoga mat and practice breathing. Yes. If you breathe poorly for the other time, it's going to have little to no effect. Right. So if you're already exercising, start thinking about how you breathe before you exercise, how you breathe during exercise, how you're going to breathe during your recovery, um, and then and, and how you sort of breathing when you're warming down afterwards. And you can just like package it up in stuff you're already doing. Um, yeah. And that's the key to, I think, for a lot of people to be able to make it consistent. How can I package it into what I already do? Yeah, you know, it's got to be sustainable. And one of the things that I always tell kind of the people that I work with, with any clientele, I say, if you could just make one change, like I'm not even telling you to set aside, you know, five, even five minutes, let alone an hour. I just want you to, I don't even want you to set aside time. I just want you to tune in and be a little bit more focused of your breath in general. That's number one. And then number two, just see what you can do to transition yourself from mouth breathing to nasal breathing, because a lot of people probably don't even understand the fact that they're mouth breathers until they notice that they're mouth breathers. Yeah, yeah. They transition to nasal breathing, which like we said, can be difficult at first because you're talking about with your mouth, you can breathe in a lot of air really quickly, right? Even though you're just breathing it thoracically, like in the chest, you can get a lot in really quickly. Whereas when you breathe through your nose, you are forced to slow down. There's a lot more resistance there, but you have yeah. so many other things that are happening, happening physiologically, right? Like the increase in NO or nitric oxide, you have the yeah. ability to slow down and engage in a more deeper breath. And we'll talk about LSD breathing here in just a second. And no, I'm not talking about drug related breathing. I'll explain <laughs> yeah. it here in just a second. I've had people have like LSD breathing. Is that you pop some LSD oh, yeah, and then you breathe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just finding what is the most sustainable thing. And I think again, it's just number one is just being self-aware and being in tune with your breathing. And then if you want to take it to the next step, yeah, then we start to introduce it into exercise. Maybe we do set a little bit of devoted time to breathing. Like that's fine. But do, am I saying like everybody, not everybody needs to drop what they're doing, be a yogi and like go sit out a mat for you know an hour two hours and just breathe like if you have the ability to sustain sustain that as a part of your lifestyle and it benefits you i'm not holding you back from it you go for it but for the bulk majority of us it's just a matter of building it into the small sections and throughout our day that's going to really help. And I think that there is such a compounding effect with breath work, right? Like the more we do it and the more we're going to condition the nervous system and our physiology to respond that way in times where we're not necessarily thinking about it, like when we're stressed, because we know when we're stressed, our body naturally kind of kicks into high fight or flight sympathetic gear. And what that means is, is we start breathing thoracically, like from our chest, we start mouth breathing, like we're not focusing kind of in the way that we should we're just trying to get out of the threat that's you know in front of us whereas if we continue to train the body no i'm not going to respond to a threat by doing kind of all these other things that can be detrimental because i kind of sustain them for a long period of time i'm now going to focus on what can help me nasal breathing low slow deep breathing all of these things can be conditioned and you know they, they i always tell people too you know from birth like we breathe in a very proper way however at some point in our life whether due to you know compounding stress 
stress or whatever it may be, we fade away from that. And really, we're just kind of getting back to the basics. We're getting back to the basics of how we are built and designed to breathe. And, you know, again, we don't have to just throw everything, you know, under the kitchen sink at it to begin with, because again, that's not sustainable. It's like me taking somebody who does a standard American diet and says, I'm going to make you, you know, a carnivore or a vegan, like, you know, within the snap of a finger. Doesn't happen. People don't make change like that. They make change in small little chunks. And then they also have to say, number one, I know that this can benefit me. And then they experience it and say that, yes, this is benefiting me. Because otherwise, like, what reason do they have to continue to kind of engage in this behavior that isn't kind of a part of their normal daily routine? So that's kind of how I frame it to them. And it sounds like, you know, you do the same. Yeah. No, no, I love how you say there about um, that awareness of your breathing and the nervous system and, and your mm. and your levels of stress. And I think for I was certainly like this and I think a lot of people will be the same. You might have been quite have these like sort of low levels or even chronic levels, of, but just like have periods of time during your day where you're stressed, but you, you're completely unaware of it. Yeah. You start mm-hmm. engaging in this idea of, like, I'm going to think about my breathing. And you might not even think of it in relation to stress. Like, I'm going to try and breathe. Like, for me, it was like, I'm going to breathe better so I can get better at, at my 5K. Like, I <laughs> I knocked a whole, I knocked a minute off my 5K time in six weeks from just nasal breathing and doing really bad, um, uh, really bad breath holes. Like, I was just not good. But I'd knocked a minute off and I was like, wow, like, this is a, this is a thing. But, um, yeah, with the, with the, um, relating that sort of like breathing stress so i was like i'm gonna work on my breathing to help me with uh with my exercise and then it's like oh okay and then with my rehab of my brain when i started to understand that but what i'd not started what i started to realize and notice afterwards was like breathing is a great like understanding how you're breathing in lots of different scenarios is a great tool for like being able to listen to what your body's trying to say to you in terms Mm -hmm. of like how you're feeling levels of stress and if you're you know, if you're like me, <laughs> my body, like I play playing rugby, like a sport like that where you're just getting battered all the time. Like you, you play pretty much every game of your life with some sort of injury. Like right. you, right. You're, you, you train yourself to like ignore pain and just like carry on. Um, whereas, um, you know, if you're quite in tune with your body, like my, my sister recently has, has been through uh, breast cancer and come out the other side of it. Mm. Um, uh, or, or fell but she went to the she's very in tune with her body and she went to the doctor saying she thinks she's got like a lump on her breast and had her examinations no there's nothing but it's went sent away she would not leave until she was like i know that the, I, I understand you can say you can't feel anything um but i know that there's something there like i just know mm-hmm. it my body is telling me like she's very in tune with herself and lo and behold she had like a seven centimeter tumor in the wow in the yeah. breast with the doctor but it was so thin it was just long yeah yeah Um, wow he he couldn't feel it and but she wouldn't leave until he referred her on for a scan so whereas i'm like totally not in tune with my body but but then starting to think about your breathing it was like oh you know what when i'm doing the washing up i hold a little tension here Mm. why am i doing that like Mm -hmm. i'm not i don't actually feel stressed right now or when i'm like rushing around uh because i'm late for a meeting i'll notice that i'm like mouth breathing and like uh, and being like this and i'm like why am I doing that? Like, I, right. so it almost like the, the starting to think about my breathing started to become the gateway to like, listen to what my body and nervous system was trying to say to me. And then it was like, I now know in these types of situations and scenarios, I'm more prone to wanting to be like stressed when I don't need to be. Mm-hmm. And I can use my, my breathing as the, um, the signaling of like, if I'm getting that way, 
And then as well, I'm able to use my breathing by slowing it down, getting control of it as the tool to be able to not get into that state of right. into that state of stress that I don't want to be at. And I think that that's that's one of the beautiful things about it. It can be the signal to us as well as the tool to actually, yeah, um, yeah be able to be able to calm us down and, and, and control the nervous system. Yeah, well said. It's it's know thyself in order to increase your awareness of what's going on and then your ability to self-regulate. And I think that that is just the beautiful story of how we're built as human beings, how we're designed as human beings. We're designed to have these kind of innate radars that will signal yeah. us to become aware of when we're stressed. And then we, again, have these innate things that we use utilize all the time, every day, without even thinking about it, our breath, to self-regulate. And that is just, I think it's one of the most beautiful pictures of who we are as human beings is that we have been designed with this built-in mechanism that as long as we are aware of it, which we can become disconnected yeah. very easily yeah, from yeah. it, but as long as we reconnect with it and then re-engage, yeah. like we can self-regulate. And that is just an amazing uh, you know, aspect of humanity. Uh, one thing I was gonna I was gonna ask you about because we kind of hit on it too, and you have already mentioned how this is probably or arguably one of the most powerful tools that you use. Let's talk about LSD breathing because I know I mentioned it earlier. <laughs> um, can you explain a little bit about what this low, slow diaphragmatic or deep, as as we as we refer yeah. to it as LSD breathing? Explain a little bit about kind of how somebody goes about engaging in LSD breathing, and then just a little bit about what's going on behind it. Like, why would we utilize this technique? Yeah, um, and I think this, <laughs> I've probably got some... And I said low, um, slow, I meant to say light, sorry. Light, slow, and deep, yeah. yeah. Um, I, because I struggled with it so much, I like explored a lot of different ways of like trying to, to do it effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's a bit of a story of my life. When you get stuff wrong a lot of the times, it actually makes you quite much better at teaching something, but it's frustrating right. at the time. Oh, I wish I could just get, you know. But, you know, if someone, if you're able to just do something straight away, you try and explain someone else how to do it and they're having loads of trouble with something. It's like you've you've not been through any of their troubles. So you actually haven't really got not necessarily empathy, but you haven't really got any of that like experience to give them tools to be able to do it. And I think one thing that I find really helps people is using your using the sound hmm. to as as a little bit of a marker. So you just start to go, you, you know, if you just even as people are listening to this now, when <laughs> in the periods where me and you shut up, like they can try to um can you can you hear your own breathing? Mm -hmm. Just sort of just mm -hmm. tune into the sound that it's making. Don't worry about the movement to start with. Um, and and as you start to tune into the noise you're making, like can you start to slow it down? Mm -hmm. And the only way you can slow down your breathing, the, uh, sorry, the only not slow, uh, try to make it quieter is what I mean. Sorry, uh, the only way you can make your breathing quieter is by breathing more slowly, softly. Um, and gently right and um and and that can be a great little just tool for people to to practice with and just use that as the use that as the marker and what you'll find is that the more you try to quieten it it'll gradually slow down at some point you're going to get this like this feeling of air hunger or this feeling of like oh i, I want to breathe a bit faster or a bit and ultimately it would then be a little bit louder and it's just trying to manage that so you're not going too far um in one direction um, yeah. in terms of like the, the depth of it, I think that this is what something that a lot of, I was the same as well. And I started of, um, when we think of deep, we, we sort of think of like big, but it's, it's, it's deep. It's not saying, it's not saying big. So like the size yeah. of the breath when we're breathing quietly and softly will be small. 
but the depth mean just meaning that it's coming from that lower region it's coming mm. from that diaphragm so yes. trying to feel that um but it doesn't necessarily have to be like at this gigantic breath just for it to be deep i think that's one of the little misconceptions that comes in a lot of the time if, yeah. if i get a lot of people say I, I just don't feel like i'm like getting a full breath in and i'm like right. well are you, are you running really fast because you don't need a full breath exactly in. Sat here chatting and there's, there's right. this misconception that i need to breathe these big breaths um and yeah. so yeah and, and forceful right. breathing too like a lot of people i think they think that they have to force it um they have to kind of really dig deep into it and they're like this feels kind of stressful like i'm trying to like you know expand my lungs as wide as they can get and to kind of your point there is like the idea isn't that we kind of like force so much oxygen into our lungs that expands yeah. to where we're feeling uncomfortable like for me i almost sometimes will visualize that breath right i'll visualize yeah. it kind of uh, going as deep and as low as it possibly can and kind of starting at the bottom and almost like filling its way up and then to the side, you know, laterally. And I think for a lot of people too, like I say, like if you feel like it's forceful and that it, you're having to kind of like use a lot of your volition, then you're probably doing too much work. Right? And you probably just need to, again, slow it down, become light and then allow, again, allow the body to relax, allow the diaphragm to move towards the pelvic floor because there's so much benefit in right that in, in, in doing that. That because yeah. when our lungs expand due to the kind of extension or descension of the diaphragm, um, that actually can increase our ability to tap into vagal tone, tap into the vagus nerve. It's an incredibly important aspect. So I tell people to really focus on that, but not be overly concerned with trying to force air down deep because for a lot of them, it just ends up being more stressful. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's one of these, it's one of these challenges of like, we want our breathing to be nice and easy and effortless, but if I'm going to try to change a habitual habit that I've got, it's not going to be effortless for me to now change from mouth breathing, upper chest breathing to nasal breathing, nice diaphragm breathing and, and nice mm. movement of the ribs mm. where I haven't really had that before. I'm going to have to think about it. I'm going to have to concentrate. I'm going to have to try and do it. And like you said, like trying too hard is not helpful, but equally at the start to retrain a movement pattern mm -hmm. just the same way if someone's got a really bad squat that they want to improve i've got to do some work on them in terms of like strengthening different areas loosening off different bits but i've got to also like teach them that new movement pattern they've got to like do many reps in to start exactly. with it feels really hard they're like they're struggling to get their hips back or whatever it may be and then is and it's exactly the same with breathing it's still a movement pattern the ribs are moving the diaphragm's moving its muscles are making that whole thing happen and um you've got to You've got to be trying at first, and it's that 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 double-edged sword again, like trying but yeah. not trying too hard. But it's going to feel like that. And you know, I've got I had clients that are um, a few things that commonly happen. Say, for instance, um, we're talking about this diaphragm breathing, and people are, like pointing at their stomach area again, like I don't know if I'm using it or how do I know if it's a if it's if it contracts as it as you breathe in as it goes down, can you feel that contraction? You know, I always say, like, if I ask you to tense your bicep, you can tense that and you can feel the squeeze. And it's like, well, how can you do that compared to you with your diaphragm? And we have a neural connection from the brain to the bicep because you've done that many times before. You know what it feels like. Whereas if you've not really been engaging that diaphragm, you've not the ribs haven't been given the room for it to be able to work, then maybe you haven't got that great a neural connection to the diaphragm. And you try to do it and you, you literally can barely even feel anything. Um, right. That's where, like, blocked inhalations or and even in breath holds where it gets stimulated almost um, on its own rather than you being in control of it 
you'll feel it tugging down whilst you're holding on the breath mm-hmm. and you'll like go oh crikey that i can feel it now like i do you know block donation be like take a breath in take a breath out pinch those try and breathe in when you're not allowing air to come in that diaphragm sort of like tugs down yeah there's no air coming in and then it's like for a lot of people they're like oh okay that's what it oh that's what it feels like it's like yeah that's that try and recreate that but some people to start with it's like they do that there's nothing they they just they cannot like send a signal to the diaphragm and it's like we need to we need to like you know we need to guide ourselves um guide ourselves into being able to use it just like any muscle within the body like if you're rehabbing someone you know blows their shoulder up and the rotator cuff needs to be rehabbed we need to be able to activate it before we can strengthen it right a lot of time like rehabilitation work would be like we do like some very low level but often it'd be like isometric work in mid-range because that's the easiest place to to activate a um activate a muscle and, and that blocked inhalation is a little bit like that it's, it's effectively more like an isometric because you're not letting it actually um actually move um and you're going to be somewhere in that that mid-range likely but um yeah you know I, I really like that that conceptualization right of really trying to um rehab both your lungs and rehab your diaphragm yeah. because if you haven't used something in a really long time or maybe we should say you haven't used it nearly as effectively or as efficiently yeah. um you know in a really long time then it's going to take some time um there's going to be yeah. almost like you know some some atrophy that you got to strengthen and so yeah, for sure yeah, and so I think it's one of those things just to remember that if it's difficult at first, it's just because, you know, you've been unfortunately breathing dysfunctionally for quite some time. And you're not alone, right? This is not an uncommon yeah. theme. This is if actually the majority. Right? Yeah. If it wasn't difficult and you're like, oh, yeah, no, got that. It, it probably means that you weren't really doing it that bad anyway. Like, yeah. it, that's a good thing. Whereas yeah. if you're finding it really hard, then it's it's a bigger sign of like, well, yeah, this is something you need to need to do and think on. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. the other the other miss. The other sort of misconception um, that that some people struggle with, um, a little bit linked to sort of like belly breathing over compared to mm-hmm. this, this concept of like pushing into the belly compared to um, uh, compared to actually using the diaphragm, the ribs moving. Um, but the the fact that, and I'm, I'm still, uh, I don't know whether the, the exact, I think there's a number of reasons why people do this, but like, holding too much tension almost like sucking their stomach in Mm. um, or holding tension through their abdominal muscles and i think sometimes it's literally because uh, we might be like sucking in to make ourselves uh, we used to i don't know maybe we we still wear a pair of jeans that we probably that are probably too small (laughs) yeah good to you know but but literally like we almost uh, subconsciously just because of like our image or whatever we think of we like we're actually sucking in to make ourselves look or appeal or feel a bit thinner right but what that's doing is it's holding the ribs in and it's actually like stopping you from um, you'll feel a load of stuff down by your um down in your like abdominal region but that's mm-hmm. you tensing your ab muscles which is stopping you affecting you from being able to like get that nice rib movement um laterally to create that space for the diaphragm and i think that's that again then comes down to like a habitual thing of like how long have i been doing this how much easier yeah. do i find it to contract my yeah. abs compared to contracting my right. um, diaphragm can i actually let go and this is a big one that like people struggle to to let go it's almost like muscular tension and the emotional side of it of like what does that what does that mean when you let go of your mm. of that of your abdominal muscles and you actually relax like can right. you can you let go there's there's i don't know you now i'm not a psychologist or anything but it's all but I definitely feel there's like there's something behind that and we're like holding on. But yeah, then when we do indeed. let go, 
we can let those ribs move and we can let the diaphragm move but there's yeah I, i'm appreciative that it's i ain't got the answers of that but i'm a i appreciate that there's it's a physical thing that i'm sort of like seeing and trying to provide a solution of but i feel that there's there's more than just the physical um that's potentially at play there. No, I, I would I would absolutely agree. You know, one of the greatest things that I've heard Patrick talk about, and he was one of the first people who I really heard talk about this, is that so many people will really try to kind of like force their stomach in and out. And they'll like, you know, a lot of people are taught breath work by putting the hand kind of like on the lower part of their belly, which again, not yeah. necessarily inherently bad, but a lot of people are like just trying to force in and out kind of the hand yeah, movement. Yeah. And I like that Patrick's like, well, instead, let's actually kind of put the hands kind of on the lower part of the ribs and actually yeah. try to feel the last expansion of the ribs on the in and out breath. And I have found that to be much more effective for me because when I focus on kind of moving the hand, when I place it on the belly with each breath, I find myself forcing the hand forward yeah, and back. Forward. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 and I don't feel the resistance band, like mm-hmm. all the way around you. Yep. So you'll feel not just that lateral expansion, you'll feel it like into the back, into the posterior yes. parts. Yes. Well. And yeah. everyone's, everyone's different. Some people, find it i mean i had a conversation with a friend recently he's like he feels that actually he's he started like he's got on board with like the lateral expansion he's got like so laterally feels like now he's lacking actually the the other dimension breathing into the back right. and even breathing forwards like right. so he's become almost one dimensional isn't the right word because it's you know what i mean like yeah it, it should yeah. be three dimensional but he's, he's yes. ended up going that way and so anything that's going to help you feel like you're getting that three-dimensional expansion and if this is where there's like there's not always one solution for every person because if someone is breathing if someone hasn't got that lateral expansion yeah then they need that lateral expansion but if yeah. they haven't got they've got that but they're not breathing into the back at all then they need to think about that so it's it's just trying to find out for yourself like where am i breathing into and it's, it comes mm-hmm. all the way back down to what you said right at the beginning around like awareness like if we're not aware of how we're breathing, you're not going to be able to put any of this stuff into into practice yep. um, and make this change. So it 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 started. It always starts with that awareness. Yeah. Um, no. Indeed. Indeed. Self awareness and then self regulation, kind of a key component here at Hanu Health, as we say that when you get those two components right, I mean that's kind of the recipe for for health and optimization. I mean it's not easy. I mean it's difficult sometimes to be self aware, and sometimes it hurts to be self aware of kind of like <laughs> identifying. Oh, you know what? I'm not feeling so great. I'm kind of stressed or, you know, I'm engaging in dysfunctional breathing. A lot of us, like when we become aware of those things, we're like, ah, you know, I don't have time for that. So we kind of push it to the side. And we're like, well, the great thing though is, is that you don't really have to take any time out of your day to really just focus on self-regulating through your breathing. You're going to breathe anyway, right? Just do it the right way. And if you do it the right way, you're going to like reap those huge benefits. So again, some key tenets for us as well. So I know we're getting a little bit long here and I don't want to wrap some things up, but the one thing that I wanted to punt to you because I'm really interested in in kind of like, I I always love kind of like concluding a podcast with like, okay, brass tacks, like, you know, rubber meets the road. Like what is like something that our listeners, like if they have heard this maybe for the very first time they're being introduced to kind of like breath work oxygen advantage your work like what would you jacko say that for you the lowest hanging fruit like here's something that you can start anyone can do today like what's kind of the order of priority for you like what, what would you tell somebody um that's what is it what did you say the uh, brass there, there was a phrase getting down to brass tacks the brass ta- well your yeah, brass tacks yes <laughs> i actually wrote in um in this in this blog I've, I've been writing about the reflecting on the the marathon um a phrase that someone once said in a rugby huddle that that uh-huh. almost made us all laugh but he said it was just, he goes talk is cheap money buys the whiskey 
you get your wallets out. So talk, we've done a lot of talking, but it's like, what is actually, what is actually going to make the difference? Exactly. Yes, um, indeed. Yeah. I mean, some of it's like going to be a little bit, um, sort of banging the same drum that we've already said. So Do it, it's man. Like, I'm almost, I'm, try, I'm almost, I'm like, part of me wants to like try and come out with something like a bit like, well, a bit different and a bit, but it's, but it's not the right message. Like we've talked Basics a lot about is where it's at. We've talked a lot about nasal breathing, and it is like, can you start breathing through your nose? Um, mm. Can you start to just be aware? Even if you've not, if you're like sort of a little bit brand new to this, just ask yourself the question: How am I breathing? And it's you're either breathing through your nose, you're breathing through your mouth, or you don't know. Mm. And not, and all of those are fine because the first step is awareness. When you then know your mouth breathing, you're going to be able to think. Okay, just by listening to this podcast, you're going to be thinking tomorrow or later on today about nasal breathing and you're going to try yeah. it um, and if it's what we said before if it feels harder that is a sign not that it's bad not that you're any different like you got made just like the rest of us so we all got given a nose to breathe through if it feels hard then it me it's a sign that you need to do it and you need to spend some time thinking about just that and i promise you your body is going to thank you for it your body will feel better your mind will be better your everything is going to be better from improving um improving your breathing if breathing through your nose is super super easy and super fine like maybe you maybe you don't breathe that dysfunctionally maybe you're on a pretty good good gauge with it like keep going with that and um you know if you want to push into it a little bit more then you can start to think about what's it like when we up the ante a little bit and we're, we're starting to get into exercise and that type of thing. But, um, that, that first thing of get that awareness, breathe mm. through the nose. If it feels harder, don't give up on it and take that as a, as a, Oh, this isn't for me. Like that's not a, <laughs> I've had someone say it before. Nah, right. it's not really, you know, sort of like the whole breathing thing. Nah, it's not really for me. <laughs> Brand like, well, breathe. They don't need that. You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna die. But the body's amazing at adapting, right? Like that's the thing <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That. So you're not actually going to die. We're all going to die at some point and take our last breath. But why not enjoy it a little bit better? The, mm -hmm. I sort of describe it as um, almost like the diaphragm doesn't have um, too many jobs to do. Okay, like We can talk about intra-abdominal pressure and that type of stuff of stabilizing the spine. But, but generally, his job is like to breathe. Mm -hmm. like, don't take that away from him. It's the same with the nose. Like his, the, the nose is there for breathing. Like Let him do his job. Right. Uh, Rather than like taking it away from him, <laughs> the yeah, mouth's got yeah. of talking, yeah. eating, chewing, all that. Like, you don't need another job today. So I tend to uh, tend right. to sort of break it, try and make it a bit simple to to fathom it and take it in that way. I love it, man, dude. Simple, sweet. I mean, it's it, it's something that everybody needs to hear. And even those of us who are listening to this podcast, who are you know well trained in breath work, it's like you said from the very beginning. Like we're always evolving, kind of in our practice, in our knowledge, in our understanding. Oh. And so we can fall back into old habits easy. Like old habits die hard, but we can get we can get through them, and we can create new helpful habits. But we can fall back into those old ways easy. So for us, we're always going to be learning, kind of how better become more self-aware of dysfunctional breathing of our stress response and then we're all go always going to learn kind of new unique ways to self-regulate that's kind of the again yeah. just one of the greatest aspects of humanity so dude that's a you know i mean again that's some great information that you provided us today i really hope that it, this has just been so practical for all of our listeners i know it has been um you know one of the things that we'll do too is i'm going to link everything that we have today on into our show notes hanuhealth.com slash podcast um jacko tell people how they can find you 
Um, yeah, so uh, web- my website is rootedlife.co.uk. Um, in it, probably Instagram is the best place to uh, to see what's going on. Yeah, you're uh, you're active Jacko. like that. I mean, you know, just yeah. filming during your marathon. I've seen you've always got your breathe right strips, your mouth tape on. I love it. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like I'm I'm throwing the I'm throwing the whole kitchen sink at this baby. <laughs> <laughs> you got uh, to man. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Instagram is Jacko Human Flag. Awesome. Um, and you got and, a podcast. Uh, you want to plug your podcast? Yeah, the podcast with uh, it's a movement, strength, and play podcast with School of Calisthenics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, School of Calisthenics is schoolcalisthenics.com and the uh, uh, Instagram and, and everything. Like everything's just School of Calisthenics for that. Awesome, awesome, cool, man. Well, dude, again, thanks so much for coming on. Wealth of knowledge that you brought. Really appreciated you coming on. I'd love to have you back at some point because you know we didn't even get into things like mouth taping and sleep and kind of all these other areas. So we'll have to have you back on at some point so we can dive into uh, some more subject matter, man. Yeah, sure, man. I'll um, I, I'm, I'm, I need I need a I need a new challenge as well. So I'll probably I need to get something, think of something, and then I test out it. some nasal breathing in a bit of a different way, and then uh, and then come back. Indeed, I love it, man. Hey, dude, thanks sure, again. Uh, we appreciate you having you on, and uh, also to anybody who's uh, you know listening. If you guys have questions, um, we're gonna post this on Instagram, uh, and you know again we'll we'll link Jacko and his Instagram account there. So feel free to ask. Um, and uh, you know, if anything, again, like I hope you all just have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Friday here for the Hanu Health Podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less. Oh,